Hello and welcome to the College of Lore. I'm your first bard, Anthony. And I am also a bard named Josh. Hello. How how bard are you? No, we're not. Okay. On a scale of one <laughs> to bard, uh, I am actually a scald because I'm literally always angry. So that scald. makes more sense. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm flipping through the fifth edition player's handbook right now. I don't see any scald in here. Oh, right. You're looking through uh, Babies and Dragons. Babies and Dragons. Uh, I'm talking about Pathfinders and Dragons. That's the game that men play. Pathfinder and Dragons. Now, that's something you won't find at your game shop. Yeah, I'm literally just coming out in this podcast and insulting everyone who plays d Okay. Let's bring the Call of Cthulhu players here. Let's let's get those guys out. <laughs> D&D podcast. You know, Gen Con's coming up pretty soon. If you want to just insult everybody, we could go there, and that'd be a really good venue. Do you think, do you think that I'm some sort of nerd? That I would go to Gen Con. Uh, I was gonna give you tickets, but okay. I, I guess yes, we're not. Go- <laughs> I am a nerd. It was a rhetorical question. Uh, I was on my my nerd uh, uh, Discord thing, and someone used the term nerdfluencer. I don't like. I'm that. just gonna, I'm gonna let that one sit out there, and you're you're. I've decided that I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's nasty. Yeah, that's that's pretty harsh. But you know, D and D's pretty cool. Um, what are your thoughts on the the Dungeon and Dragons? Uh, I I do like me some Dungeons and Dragons. I um, oh, okay, yeah, I do. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What's up? <laughs> What's your favorite class? Gee, if I had to pick a class, I always try to pick a new one every time. I actually roll every time I play a new class. I rolled for the Fighter. I rolled. Um, I didn't roll for Inquisitor. That one, that one you suggested to me. Maybe it was a joke. Okay. I'm not sure. But my favorite, favorite class is the question that you asked. Favorite class, favorite class, favorite class. I haven't thought about this. I think cleric? I think cleric is my favorite class. Think. Why do you think cleric is your favorite class? Is it because you're a, re- you're a low-key religious zealot? Yeah, I, I like converting all my friends. Um, it's, no. Uh, there's, there's something about um, the duality of, like, being in a tough situation, but, like, the preacher in bunch of different shows uh who is like stuck to their faith and is like you know sticking it out there or any trial that comes they go back to it and their faith is constantly tested that's just a great trope in writing so what you're saying is is that in a tough spot you like to rely on a higher power instead of dealing with it yourself i like that <laughs> well it's got a little, <laughs> little deep but um uh yeah, I think uh I think you do have to rely on yourself as much as you can. And then when it comes to like other people, like bringing people together through faith is a pretty powerful story writing implement which I like to see done in my D&D game. So I think that's why I like Claire the best. Amen, brother. Amen to that. Yeah. Praise the Lord. What's your favorite Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> class that isn't in Dungeons and Dragons cuz you don't like Dungeons and Dragons? My favorite Dungeons and Dragons class that is in Dungeons and Dragons, and also is also in other tabletop games like Pathfinder, the man's game for that's well, for okay. adults, um, is the Bard. <laughs> but they're also very similar in both oh, yeah? aspects. So, yeah, you know, there's just something about being able to talk your way out of any situation, whether it be in real life or, you know, not real life, like weaponizing your language and manipulating the f- word freak out of everyone around you. And then turning around and be like, hey guys, I'm inspiring. Let me sing you a song. Or fart. Yeah, that's... It's mechanics. You could literally just do anything. And then, you know, there's something really freeing about that, you know? What about, like, playing playing your favorite class 
wrong? Do you think there's a wrong way to pay, play your favorite class? Are we talking about, like, outside of mechanics? Yeah. Um, not for bards, I don't think. No? I think bards are more flexible. Yeah, they're just talkers. I mean, there's no good or bad. Like, people think that maybe specifically Paladin is probably the most pressed when it comes to playing a class wrong. Sure. Because, you know, they have to follow their data. There's rules. I mean, with a bard, you don't really have, like, hard logistical rules. There's no mechanical rule that's tied to roleplay. I mean, can you think of a wrong way to play a bard? Yes. Other than, you know, being a complete asshole. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, like, um, stereotypically, when I'm browsing through Dungeons & Dragons memes, as I do in my off time, I'll see memes where it's just like, and then the bard seduced the dragon. Like, okay, don't seduce everything you come across, maybe. That can get annoying. If I, If my favorite class was bard, and someone was, like, seducing everything they came across, I'd, I'd get a little annoyed. It's a little that guy, like, well, I that's what my character would do. People who, like, jump to, that's what my character would do because of their preconceived notions of what certain classes are. So maybe we could go into that a little bit, like, what, what well, are some other Well, in that ways? respect, I, I know that's just one example, yeah. but I think that's more of a DM's fault. I mean, one, a dragon isn't going to be seduced by a mere mortal <laughs> in most cases. If the if the dragon has any self-respect, dragon hasn't even if they yet. would roll, <sighs> yeah, saying. like a natural twenty is not an instant success. In the same way that a natural one isn't always technically a failure for skill checks. That's a homebrew rule. Mm. Uh, so that's I think that goes on the DM's fault. If you try and like fuck a dragon, then the DM is letting you do that. So that's kind of. On them. I wouldn't say it's the player's fault. I mean, if the player is still doing that when they're fighting dragons, it means they're, like, level, like, 15 plus. And that means they've been doing it for 15 levels. <laughs> that means the DM has put up with it for 15 <laughs> levels. That's a long time. There's something wrong already. That's, yeah, the, sedu- the seduction of a dragon isn't the root of the problem here. How often have you That's gotten to level 15? Source. Uh, I have never gotten to level 15, actually. I've always died beforehand. Um... But I have played in high-level campaigns. But I wouldn't say I got to level 15. Oh, I okay. started yeah. at 15+. plus. So, And most of the time, I'm basically jamming anyway. I don't have an opportunity to actually level up my characters. Okay. You know, A few times that I did, uh, the DM had something come up or the party fell apart. Oh, they just wanted to so. kill your character? Or they just wanted to kill my character because he was too awesome. Not because he was annoying or stupid in any way, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> something weird about DMs who have it out to get me, I don't uh, know why, but it's their fault, it's not mine. Totally, totally. Well, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, like, uh, really over-the-top, like, stereotypical ways to play your character, and then starting with our favorite class, and then, like, better ways to do it. So, like, a cleric. A really bad way to play a cleric would be, like, same as a paladin, lawful silly, or lawful stupid, where you're just... You know, no, everything is good and, and the good of the everything versus, you know, I can't see anything but good and evil. If you're not good, you're evil. That That's kind of tired, in my opinion. But if it's your first time role-playing, I guess, yeah, it's up to the Dungeon Master, like you said, to really give you, like, a broader spectrum. Paint with a, a larger paintbrush. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think it's inherently wrong to play that way. I just think it's inherently boring. It's a cliche for a reason, but, you know, just because you're religious doesn't make you stupid. So no, not that. But like if you're if you're full into it and you're leaning way heavily into the stereotype, I think sometimes that can be like challenging unless you talk it out with your party beforehand and you're like, hey, guys, this is going to be I'm going to be like super stereotypical, but I want to see how that changes and grows as my character. Growth is super important. Like if your character is the same way 
from when you thought it to when you played it to when you finished playing it, maybe you've done something wrong. I always like to see growth yeah. or change. I'd agree with that. That or you're not playing a story-driven game. You're playing like a dungeon crawl. That's okay, too. But normally there's an expectation set by your party and the dungeon master when it comes to stuff like that. I don't think I've ever yeah. played like a really heavy dungeon crawl game or like, you know, by the book, just like that yeah. was just well, a lot of the, a lot of the older. Yeah, a lot of the older ones were like that True. before uh, more modern day Dungeons and Dragons and like mainstream stuff. When they used to play it back in the day, it was just dungeon crawls. There was no story. It was just room after room after room. Fight, fight, fight. Or and people were cool with that. You're walking and you're walking and you're walking and you head to the next town and you're walking and you're walking and you're walking. Very Lord of the Rings. Yeah, pretty much. The game has definitely evolved into more of a narrative uh, regard to, you know, story. Story is important now than it was before. Those guys' calves must have been ridiculous. Frodo must, like... Whew. They don't wear shoes. No, they don't. Yeah. Actually, hobbits, or halflings, technically they're halflings, uh, they grow, like, thick skin and fur under their feet. Uh-huh. So they don't need shoes. Like, that's the whole lore behind them, not needing shoes. Oh, man. So it'd be super weird if you were, like... I want to be a halfling cobbler. That's my background. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be super just, weird. Like obsessed about what are these well, things actually, that are? It wouldn't be weird. Speak? It just, it just would not be profitable. <laughs> no one would wear shoes. That's why he You'd went adventure. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I need to get out of this hamlet, dude. No one's buying my shit. <laughs> oh man. Um. So, but um, yeah, kind of veering back into the you know main topic. Uh, I mean, I don't really think that there's a wrong way to play Bard. I think there's stupid ways to play Bard. Okay. Uh, this is personal though. <laughs> like, like you said, seducing everything. It's not wrong. It's just kind of boring and and flat. You know, if you want to be that guy who's like the player, mm-hmm. because I mean, you know, you're living out your fantasy, and that's that's please, cool. I guess someone talk to me. Yeah, man, woman, dog, please. I'm, I'm actually less. I'm actually less annoyed by that, and more annoyed by people who feel the need to make their character incredibly like whimsical and silly all the time (laughs) people have this impression that bards need to be small halflings and gnomes and they need to run around with a loot and just serenade everyone and they're loud and rambunctious but you can be like quiet or serious and still be charismatic you know right um one of my bards that i made was a dude who just had hakas and he was mean so it's a thing, um, but the stereotype isn't necessarily wrong. I just think that people get very stuck on the expectation that's been set from like movies, like Lord of the Rings, uh, yeah. uh, or ever other you know high medieval or mid tier medieval fantasies, and then they see the classes and they assume that they're the same thing. Same with like barbarians. Everyone assumes they're like feral, like big orcs dudes. with furs around their necks, and they hunt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, technically they are big dudes because they're strong. Yeah. But barbarians, they don't have to be like dumb meatheads. You know, that's true. they don't have to be. No. I mean, like, yeah, tribal, I've seen that a lot. But I've also seen a really good way for a barbarian is it It was a little edgy, you know, D&D. Everyone's dead in the backstory. Uh, it was a husband who lost his whole family, like very um, Punisher. And he got his power okay. from his rage uh, when he thought about, like, the death of his family and how they were unjustly killed. And he didn't deserve to, you know, make it out alive, but he did. That was a really cool barbarian. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, people just think, oh, I'm just so angry and stupid and I hate everything. And, like, that's not wrong, but people feel like they need to be fixated on that. In the same way that, like, a fighter doesn't have to be or can't be religious. Yeah. 
you know, I ran a game once, it was low magic, and people would choose fighters for religious classes. And they still follow gods and stuff, but it was more like distant, you know? Mm-hmm. But it was still the same because they it didn't really f- affect the mechanics other than the fact that they didn't get direct divine spells. Sure. But I mean, you can still worship a god. I mean, peasants and, and commoners do it all the time, yeah. so why can't you? Why don't they have spells? Exactly. Man, those gods are so picky about who they choose to give their magic powers to. Hey, man, there can only be so many main characters in the story, <laughs> all right? And sometimes you're just an extra. Real talk. Oh, God, imagine if, like, lessons. you ran Drum a bars. Game. Yeah, oof. Dropping, well, <laughs> what what do bards drop? All right, you're in a bard, you're in a tavern, you spit some hefty rhyme. You, there's no mic to drop in Well, sometimes, medieval you know, depending fantasy. on the bard, they drop, they drop pants. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because, you know, they're high charisma, obviously, and everyone is apparently a seductress when they're a bard. Uh, what else are you going to use the high charisma for? Exactly. I mean, sex, right, guys? <laughs> hey! Is that how that works? Actually, I... <laughs> so, I... Actually, this was in your campaign. I had a ranger who had, like, shitty charisma. Yeah. Like, eight... And he would just kept hitting, he just kept hitting on this lady, the wife of some guy, and he always failed well, because he was some poor lonely drunk bastard. And she was married. Yeah, but it didn't matter. It just he, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> you don't have to be good to do something like it. I didn't expect him to ever succeed, but it's something that he would do. Svetlana thought Russell was a sweetheart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she was. Oh man. <laughs> good times that was kingmaker pathfinder so yeah i mean there's tons of other uh classes in in pathfinder as well it'd take forever to go through all of them but like just hitting on the main ones um wizards uh i think it's important to play every class like once or just like try to if you're lucky enough to be able to play on multiple games just play one stereotype just like run through it get it out of your system and then like stretch and evolve in in your role playing like it'll get better over time my first character i ever played was it was pretty weird it's a bad example but my first actual character that i played after that the first character that you liked <laughs> my second character <laughs> he was very stereotypical he was like uh he was this nice guy paladin and he couldn't talk to girls and he was like uh yeah so that was interesting but yeah it, thinking about like breaking away from the mainstream was always like super important to me i don't know why but um i just i I knew the propensity to like how bad it could be like it when you lean fully into the stereotype but also like it's kind of fun too sometimes especially if everyone's on board with it and you talk to your dungeon master and you're like yeah i'm gonna play a wizard he's gonna be this like super nerdy guy and he's gonna just constantly be like, "Well, I'm actually according to the math of on the, on this one right here, you can't actually jump over the bridge. But if we take the halfling and we throw him over the bridge, then perhaps uh, if I cast a featherfall and while he's in pig flight, then he should be able to sail right over the chasm." And that's an excellent nasally voice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm looking at the peaks and the <laughs> I, bars and audacity. It it's second. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree with that. Um, I think that. Nece- not necessarily keeping like keeping cliches is not necessarily bad it makes it fun uh, but as 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 long as it's conducive to good interaction with other players like super edgy rogues who steal from everyone that's shit <laughs> that's just shitty that's objectively wrong fuck all y'all who play those people it's not fun this is a team building party game and you're robbing your team of their fun and who the fuck would ever want to play with you 
But, you know, if you're like an interactive, you can still be a thief. But if you do it in a way that's conducive to fun and roleplay and helping your party and sometimes causing drama, but not making it like, let me karaoke with you all the time excuse, <laughs> then yeah, it's it's good. Like, a rogue is good at stealing, so sometimes he steals shit, you know? But if it's just like, I'm going to steal all the party fun, and now I'm going to steal that paladin's magic weapon, and then I'm going to kill all the babies because I'm a rogue and I lost my family in a village and my name is Sasuke, then <laughs> fuck you. Out the edge. Um, yeah, it it's stupid, and you know, okay. I actually have a rule uh, in my games generally where I try to avoid very anime esque backstories oh, for on. that reason because they're all just so over the top dramatic. <laughs> and shout out to all my anime homies. I I don't I think the writing most of the time for those things or spinoffs of like trying to make renditions of animes oh, yeah. is generally very lazy. So I try to avoid it. Okay. You know, if it's good, I'll take it. But most of the time, it's it's a hard sell. Can you tell if if someone like uh is maybe a fan of an anime that you haven't watched, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna play this character." He's kind of like the. Can you tell tell just like from the backstory, like if he's an anime character? Not always. Generally, I'll talk to them about it, and then I'll find out. But a lot of anime, uh, especially mainstream anime, because I'm a closet weeb, <laughs> uh, follows a lot of. Of the same formula, in yeah. the same way, like every genre does. Like Disney follows its own formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of horror follows a certain genre. So there's a lot of anime, and you can just kind of tell when it's not going to be good or when it's not conducive to friendly play, or it's just lazy. Mm. That generally comes with experience, but after a certain amount of time, you can just, as a GM, tell. And you know, <laughs> if you like that sort of stuff, good for you. Um, but mm. Mm, <laughs> you know. So, a good advice, as always, is to otaku to your GM about it. Yeah, you're um, not welcome to the game anymore. <laughs> oh, man, I sat on that one for a while. I was biting my man, tongue. Man, you read to reach the story arc where we revealed everything about your backstory, and, and it was kicked. supposed to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you just can't. You just can't, man. jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, that's all the time we had now. <laughs> okay um let's see we've talked about rogues okay how how do we how do i how do i be a rogue and how do i steal stuff but not from the party well i mean finding points of interest having actual goals other than just stealing stuff is usually what helps a lot of people especially new players who are like uh super into the idea of rogues and thievy dexterous characters it's a really common trope uh, even in video games, that's really popular. So having an actual goal for your character other than stealing shit and being an asshole is generally a good start. Why are you stealing shit? What got you there? And what is your goal? Do you want to keep stealing shit? Do you only steal? Are you a Robin Hood-esque character? Like, what is the money for? And why are you robbing from your friends? Like, mm. even thieves have a code most of the time, unless you're like, you know, dirty... Yeah, don't don't chaotic, don't steal from like. But I would recommend staying away from that for a while, unless you're an experienced GM and you have a well knowledge party, because that stuff is hard to run. But generally, if you're like running a chaotic neutral rogue, which is the most common, you know, if you have goals and a set of quote unquote moral rules, you're kind of headed in the right direction. That'll usually set you up for success. My advice is to work with the party to steal stuff that you all need together. Talk to them about deception talk to them about 
planting lies and spreading rumors. Uh, Barry did that in our last game, and I loved it. That's such a unique, cool way to play a rogue, uh, using your charisma, using uh, the tools at your disposal, and spreading lies and rumors. Well, to be fair, most rogues dump stat charisma. Oh, really? Larry's is an exception. Yeah, I mean, rogues don't need charisma in the uh, That's true. I find them most of the time. But I mean, in the off case that they do have it, then yeah, go for it, I say. You know? And in regard to like sleight of hands and and stealing and stuff, you can use that stuff for politics. True. You know, slipping false evidence into people's things. You can reverse steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can steal um, artifacts or points of interest, other than just gold. Yeah. yeah, I need gold so I can buy my loot. Like, Or working on, with man. the team. To do a heist episode, I love heist episodes in in the I say episodes, but they're like you know parts of a campaign. But oh, they're, they're so fun. Word. That's the word. Oh, I love it. Yeah, heist episodes are a lot of fun. Well, big and you know why it's fun, right? It's because the party is working together to achieve yes. this task, and the rogue is exceptionally good at that one thing, so they feel important, and then the party gets what they want. Yeah, GMs find ways to highlight your characters. Find ways to highlight like, your yeah. players. Each one of them. Uh, okay. What are your thoughts on uh, what about sorcerers? Sorcerers. I don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. with sorcerers, to be honest. Uh, just like wacky sorcerers is the only trope that I've seen. Just like uh, always casting magic, always like trying to trigger the wild magic table, um, burning down taverns. Fire sorcerers is the number one most common trope that I know of for sure. Like, I just cast fire, like fireball everything. Um, it, it's cool. It's like. But is there a wrong way do you think to play sorcerer in terms of like the cliches there's not a lot of cliches really set out for sorcerer it's more leaning on wizard yeah or warlock warlock um any anything that causes you like you said with the rogue to stray away from the party or like you know not not have a discourage group play i guess is the the phrase i would use um anything that you know like oh my character goes off alone and this is a lone thing and this is a lone time Great, now the GM has to take a break from talking to the three other people or however many at the table and talk to this one guy in particular. And it may or may not do anything to advance the plot. It may not do anything to you know help the other people and everyone just whips out their phone and that's the end of the game, pretty much. Yeah, and then you and then you also, your, uh, your GM has to recalculate, you know. Suddenly you have three people in a five-party combat encounter that's set up for all of them and then everyone is like, oh shit, we're in trouble. Also, there's this weird uh, tendency for people with, like, sorcery and warlock classes especially to feel like they have to be under the guise of something evil. Oh, evil. Yeah. Like, especially warlocks. You like, you think pact, and the immediate thing you think is, like, servitude and demons. Not necessarily. It's just a greater being that you don't really understand. That happens which to be a demon. <laughs> literally be anything. Yeah, that happens to be... I mean, it doesn't... It never actually, in D&D rules, specifically states it's a demon. One of them says fiends. Yeah. Yeah, one of them says feet. You can. You have the option to do it. Like, playing a uh, warlock who follows an evil being is allowed and not wrong. Okay, so how do but I it doesn't technically have being, to be. But be a good guy. I mean, you follow it and you can still have your own motives. You're not a cleric or a paladin. You're not preaching the message. They give you powers and you know, the enemy of my enemy might be my friend. So the fiend might have an objective that he wants you to meet. Uh... You may or may not agree with that objective, but it's a mean to a different end, perhaps. Maybe you need to do something bad in order to save your town or your family. Or, you know, your your cause might be noble. Your means might be questionable. That's a delicate balance for a dungeon master. Yeah, but that's 
again up to the dungeon master. I don't personally care too much for the alignment system, like the chaotic, neutral, the evil, all that stuff. I think it's too vague. We're getting a little off topic, but I think it's a little too general. I mean, moral ambiguity and black and white, you know, what's good, what is wrong. It's up to, is it up to the players? Is it up to an overarching rule system? Is it up to what you think you're doing? Is it intention versus action? Okay. It's too much to put into nine different subsects, and I think that generally it's easier and better if you kind of work with your players on what your god would consider. So, like, if you're a paladin and you're following a god, you care about what the god thinks, less about what the world thinks. Okay. I think players should also have that type of uh, interaction, like, not good and evil so much, but am I helping the party or am I hurting the party? Am I, you know, more of a an aloner or more of a togetherer? Those are words. Um, definitely not a bard in real life, actually. I've, uh, I'm a thief, and I've I've uh, snuck in here and taken on the guise of a bard. Um, well, your thiever your thievery is uh, it's not really showing. You haven't really stolen anything yet. That's so. I guess you're doing a pretty good job pretending to be a bard. How do you know? Unless you're gonna steal all my gold, and then I'll hate how you. How do you know I haven't already stolen? What did we? What are we stealing? I've wasted a bunch of your time so far. I don't know. I quite enjoy talking to you, Tony. I like talking to our uh, our audience of twelve people. Twelve. <laughs> nice to see a lot of new faces in the crowd. I have a large family. <laughs> You're just gonna individually show them. All right, watch this. I know you know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, but please. I need twelve people. All right. I contractually obligated that twelve people. Uh, so yeah, we've we've talked about um some stereotypes and some different classes and our favorite class and some different ways we could work on playing that and at the end of the day it's all like your intention and as long as you you know maintain that thought and have a care about your intention and coming together with a bunch of other people to create a story i think you're you're on the right path already so don't don't stress out too much about you know whether or not i'm i'm being super focused on am, is my character good for the party i just want to play this one idea like Han Solo wasn't a great character. He was pretty selfish, but in the end, he turns it around. He does everything for his friends instead of just for the money, which it starts out. And then he kind of changes and grows as a character. Yeah, and, you know, all of our podcasts have that sort of reoccurring theme of talk to your party, yeah. talk to your players. Communication is the key. It's actually a relationship One party's podcast. opinion is different than the rest. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty good at relationships. Yup. Okay. I'm not single, guys. Oh. I, I'm single. By choice. By choice. I'm so... I'm, it's yeah. not your choice to be single. It's other people's choice that you're single, but... It's someone's <laughs> choice out there. You know? It's high noon somewhere. It's it's high noon somewhere is a great phrase. Because it is. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, there's uh when it comes to stereotypes, there's no I mean there's no real wrong or right way to play unless you're, you know, mechanically breaking the game. It's just a quality of writing, but that standard can vary and it might be it might have different flavors or tastes depending on the campaign. Like if you're running a really ultra serious campaign Generally, you don't want to be the wacky gnome with three eyes and pink clothes. Sometimes that's okay. Or maybe he is. You he know? just like he started out that way, but something something terrible happened to him in the last forty eight hours, and 
he, he's got to get out of town. He's got blood on his hands, and he, the wacky life he left behind is no more. My life used to be so wacky, and now it's not. Oh, curse these GMs! <laughs> I can't control my voice. Star Trust me, I'm very serious. <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, that duality that that um, you know character looks one way on the surface but doesn't on the inside. We haven't talked about Rand. actually a lot of my characters are written that way. Surprisingly, a lot of my NPCs yeah. anyway. Yeah, on purpose. <laughs> it's fun. The reveals, even if they don't matter, they're so fun. About Sabian, talk to me about Sabian. He was a warlock. He, you didn't play him as a super evil loner character who was uh, gonna try to overthrow. Man, I don't know if Patreon, I wanna. Or not Patreon. I don't know if I wanna talk about Sabian. You know, I'll talk about Sabian. Sure. So uh, Sabian, for all you guys listening, is a lizard folk warlock <laughs> that I wrote. Uh, seven pages of backstory for for a campaign that fell through. That didn't last seven episodes. Yeah, it didn't last very long. And essentially, I had put a lot of thought to him. So basically, he was a warlock. He had the fiend pact. He had the tomb. Uh, so we had a book. Tome. And tome. I think we were level, like, tome, tome. tome. We were, like, what, level four? Uh, yeah, four. Level four. And um, he was this really wacky, like, slightly deranged, insane lizard folk who wore a, a flower on his head, and he would always talk to the flower. And the flower's name was Vivian. So, essentially, his backstory was, um, he used to visit this neighboring village in the summers and stuff like that, and he met this girl. Uh, basically, it became like this weird long-distance relationship with the way the tribes worked in this world. Um, but they would go through, they were all hunters and gatherers, and they would go through and hunt stuff, and this is the time when he came. And they met in like this meadow. And since food was scarce, they were sharing the food from two different villages. And he met this girl in this meadow, which was the same flower that he essentially met her. So like he, that flower was like a symbolism of who she was. And her name was Vivian. So he named the flower Vivian. Um, but her village was destroyed in one of the winters. And he came to like figure out what was going on afterwards because he couldn't get in contact with her. And because he couldn't go out during the blizzard, uh, her village was like wiped. So he got really sad, uh, and he met this dude who basically promised him that he would help him out, help him forget what happened, because Sabian was, like, alone and sad, and he used to write her letters, and she would get him stuff. And basically, he made a pact with his fiend, who he thought was just a guy. He called him father, because the father was per- the, the deity was parading around as a, as a, as a priest. Because I forget what the actual I forget what the actual fiend was, but basically he was like incredibly deceptive, and he had several forms. It was in the D and D lore somewhere. I forget what it was called, uh, but essentially he was tricked. So he made that pact, and he went low key insane, and so now he thinks the flower is actually his wife. Oh man! So it's like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, but like yes, worse. Essentially, yes. So he actually legitimately thinks the flower is his wife. So it's why he talks to her all the time, and he's super affectionate. And which is why he's kind of loopy, um, because he kind of lost part of his mind during that process. So when everyone sees a flower, he sees his wife, because he actually thinks that's who she is. And uh, basically, he draws his power from the fiend, doing its deeds, because the fiend basically brought him up to what he is now, and he attributes his happiness in his current state to the fiend. So it's not good for him, but he enjoys it, because this is him not being sad 
and he's not actually allowed to express sadness. Uh, throughout the entire campaign, there's two he things. Never sad. There's two emotions he didn't express, except for one time. He expressed fear once. He was never afraid, and he was never sad. He was a little afraid during the, the Golem encounter, right? The giant Earth Elemental? He was frustrated. Oh. Um, but the only other time he, he would visibly be violent is when he was around other flowers, because he thought that they overshadowed Vivian's beauty, so he would burn them. Huh. Which is why he always burned flowers. There were there were there were triggers. Like he I had a list of things that he, if he encountered them, he would be have outbursts of like flashbacks of like who he was and he hates that. So he burns flowers. Um if people mention certain things. Um if you went through his pack, I had a written and like photoshopped letter from Vivian to him. Which is why I would ask whenever someone went through his stuff, like, you going through his stuff? Because <laughs> I would send them the letter. Okay. Um, but he was he was a sad character. I honestly didn't know where my GM was going to take him, but at the time I was going through some stuff, so I basically projected that feeling onto Sabian, because he has a front of like happiness and stuff like that, which isn't really a front in his own mind, but it kind of is. It was like a healthy. It was like an unhealthy way to adapt to his surroundings. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was very insightful to to get a glimpse into a character that I played with for a little bit and. Yeah, Sabian was always uh, laughing and saying some outlandish, weird thing, and everyone would just be like, "Up, oh, that that's Sabian, I guess." Yeah, people well, people just assume that because I was a, a warlock and a magic caster, I was just making some loopy, insane character because they were fun and quirky. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't actually the reason. I mean, I wanted to run a fun, quirky character, but he had like a really serious intellectual side to him because he was really smart. He was like the one of the main. Uh, I guess, nature boys of his tribe. Mm -hmm. I guess that's how they would describe a smart lizard in his tribe, which is why he was so intelligent. Yeah, he uh, he came in clutch. He had the highest intelligence in the party. Um, yeah, he knew all this weird stuff that no one knew. He would go around and just know what to do. Oh, yeah, and he was also very impulsive. Yes. He would just go do things. You know, He would just run off because he was used to being alone and wandering, so he didn't care. And he kind of had a low-key death wish most of the time. Uh that's, um, that's another thing we should talk about is characters with death wishes. Um, it's it's good and it it's awesome, but it's something that needs to be brought up in character to talk with. Like, look, dude, we're we're hanging out together, we're making money together. You can't keep running off like that. Uh, that that's the type of conversation that needs to happen in any game in character. Um, you, you mentioned it to us out of character plenty of times. Like, look, Sabian's crazy. He just goes off and wanders all the time. And so we're like, okay, cool. But it needed to be, I think, talked about in-game. Uh, there's another game I played in where one character had a death wish. But, I mean, he he leaned super heavy into that. He would go tanking, you know, the monster. And, and he was a, a rogue thief. So he had super low hit points and... Um, we all had to dump our healing spells in them at that time, and uh, it it front loaded the party a lot. Like it, it changed our objective a lot into healing versus when we should have been doing damage. Like if you're healing, uh, yeah, meta, like babysitting him instead yeah. of actually just killing the creature. Yeah. Meta, if you're if you're playing the game and and you're dumping healing spells or casting healing spells instead of killing the thing that's killing you, you're on the losing end. You're on the back foot. Yeah. Generally, if you're casting heals during a fight instead of after the fight, it's bad. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Cool. So, yeah, um, characters with death wishes, that's uh, an interesting trope that 
is not necessarily anti-fun or you shouldn't really make a rule against it but it, it should be something like that you talk about uh especially in character um i think it's more important in character i agree with that than out of character because you know if it's in character then like your character cares about them congrats you've made progress you're joining together as a as a team yeah and i think that if you're going to do a death wish character um it can't just be, I'm sad and I'm going to go and try and kill myself. Because ultimately, what's the point of even trying to be a hero if you just want to die as a character? Because you're setting your character up to actually die. So you need to find out why and what kind of death wish they have. Most people, especially in good writing, you'll see death wish characters have a methodology to the way that their death wish is. They don't just run and gun into places they know they'll die, but they're willing to put themselves out there to do certain things. To the well. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's a that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> but characters have their reasons for being the way they are. So don't just like, oh, well, you know, we're getting into combat. My character's got a death with time to kill myself. <laughs> and then you realize your character actually does die. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> because then you just lost your character. Yep. So, and I do agree with the fact that characters should be talking about their death wish. It should be a point of, it should be a flaw that needs to be fixed over time. Because yeah. Mary Sue characters are boring, and Death Wish characters who end the campaign as Death Wishes, Death, Death Wish characters, haven't grown. That's pretty shit. So, it should be a problem that is approached to be fixed eventually. Yes. I like thinking of um, problems in small, medium, and large, and then in multiples of three. So if it's an easy problem, it should be solved in like one to three episodes. If it's a medium problem, it should be solved in three to six episodes. And if it's a hard problem, like having a death wish, then maybe up to like nine episodes to like really think about where you want to take that and how you want it to change. Talked about constantly over time in like not legitimate skill challenges, but off like off the dice skill challenges where the the characters in the party are talking to each other and it's either the characters that uh, convince the one character with a death wish not to have a death wish anymore uh, over a long period of time if it's something that hard. But I like easy problems to be solved easily and not to be you know dragged out. We had inter-party conflict in one of the games that I played for the entirety of the campaign together, and we didn't know anything about each other. The time where we all sat down to think about like what we can benefit from each other and how we can learn from each other happened to be the last episode. And that was pretty sad to finally start working together as a team right at the very end. Yeah. And that's definitely something that you should talk to your GM about mm -hmm. as well. Because even if it's not like, so let's say it's a hard problem like you stated or an easy problem even, um, those problems can sometimes be fixed slower or quicker depending on the campaign itself, like a trigger or an arc that's, you know, deeply impactful to your character and if the party can't find a legitimate reason to make it like a natural transition in terms of role play as to why a problem can be fixed or how it should be fixed or they don't care you as a gm or the player can you as a player can talk to your gm uh and make it seem natural you know the, if the gm knows your character they can cater things to your character so let's say your character 
had no father figure. Then you throw in a, an arc where they finally find a father figure or a mentor or someone to look up to that can help them change their attitude towards something. Or they and find his That father. doesn't even involve the PCs, but it looks natural, and then people will recognize the change yeah. because it's drastic and it makes sense. So, talk with talk with your party! Hmm. What a concept! Wow, let's just... Let's just... Re record Let's just the close it out with talk to your party. Just loop that. We're just gonna delete all the episodes. <laughs> We're gonna have just like, hey, let's talk to your party. Hi, uh, my name is Josh, and my name's Tony, and this is the College of Lore. Talk to your party. All right, well, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the entrance exam. That's the the short and quick of it. That's the final yeah. test. Who should you talk to? Answer everyone, always. It's a multiple choice question <laughs> with A, B, and C. Indeed. All of the above. A is, should you talk to your party? Mm-hmm. B, don't talk to your party. <laughs> C, talk to some people. Or D, don't uh, talk to your mom. Oof. That's just... It would be A and D. Always talk to your mom. She should. loves you. Sometimes. Give her a call. Yeah. Positive vibes. After class, put your phones away. Jeez. God. Just... Okay, actually, no, that's that's fine. We'll, we'll end here today. Everyone go call your mom. Uh, I'm... Hey, well... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go call my mom after this for sure. Me too. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to put in post a, a bell ringing. And wow, <laughs> would you look at that at the end of class? Um, y'all dismissed. Have a good day. Have a good one.